Coming up this evening on NTD Business. A red day on Wall Street, markets falling again. The Nasdaq has now wiped out a year and a half of gains. Russia threatens Elon Musk for helping Ukraine, but Ukrainian forces say his support changed the course of the war. Power shortage warnings across the United States, grid operators saying we could see blackouts this summer. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Stocks continued their dramatic descent today. Technology stocks in particular battered again. Tesla's down 9%, Apple down 3.5%, and Meta down almost 4%. The Nasdaq has now wiped out over a year and a half of gains. S&P 500, a year of gains. Today alone on Wall Street, the Dow fell 654 points at 2%. S&P 500 dropped 132 points, or 3 and 2 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 521 points, 4 and 3 tenths of a percent. Bitcoin is down 10% for the day and 50% from its all-time high last November. Brian McCarthy is chief strategist at MacroLens. Great to have him here. Brian, how much lower can the major indexes go? Oh, boy. Uh, tough question. We're, we're, we're really on the verge of crash mode. Um, we have a CPI report on Wednesday at 8.30 a.m., which is, I, I think it's the most important piece of economic data I can remember in many, many years. So let's hope that that's a benign report that will allow the Fed to re let the market think that they can regain control of this situation that, unfortunately, I think they've lost control of. Explain that to me. Why is it so significant? Well, Jay Powell was talking very tough about uh, countering inflation, uh, bringing up Paul Volcker. And, uh, you know, he's really obviously under a lot of uh, political pressure to get this situation under control. However, to some extent, the inflation is uh, the result of things that are completely beyond his control, right? If, if we're not getting fertilizer or, or grains from Ukraine or oil from Russia, uh, that, is, that is a negative supply shock. It's nothing the Fed can do anything about. Now, there is obviously excess demand in the economy stemming from the very aggressive monetary and fiscal policy they used to address the pandemic. They overcooked that. But Jay Powell has to convince these markets that he can correct the demand imbalance without overdoing the tightening, because if they tighten monetary policy in the face of a supply shock, then you have a stagflationary recession. And I think this is the problem. The market, he, he's committed to fixing this inflation, part of which he can't possibly fix. So if these numbers don't calm down, he's put himself sort of made a rhetorical commitment to crunching the economy in a pretty bad way. So we're now pricing in a, a hard landing recession at some point in the second half. You think that this is what the markets are looking at? They're thinking inflation could potentially get worse. The Fed chairman could continue with what we, what we see is a fairly solid path for a more path laid out where we're going to fight inflation. Like you said, you think, but, but have investors not known this for six months, 12 months that this day would come? Well, we're still talking, we're still getting a very sort of robust run of economic indicators in real time. So, you know, it's not like a recession is imminent. Uh, we're still talking second half, maybe early next year at worst, given the momentum in the economy. So it's difficult for markets to get too excited about something that's six or nine months down the road. But what is happening is that any hopes for the Fed to soft land this thing 
are, uh, it's, it's really on a, a slim, slender read right now. Uh, and again, we need imminently a deceleration in reported inflation prints. Otherwise, uh, the Fed seems to have committed to continuing to hit the economy over the head with rate hikes uh, until they push us into recession. So they've just given themselves no wiggle room at all at this point. What kind of improvement would you need to see in the CPI report that's coming up? Sure. Well, you know, the last uh, the last print for core was 0.3 month on month. So you can annualize that to a little over three and a half. That would be if we get more of that kind of deceleration, that would be enough, I think, to to let them back off and, and relieve some of these hard landing fears. The market's looking for a 0.2 on the headline uh, CPI uh coming out on Wednesday. That would be reasonable. We would see the headline year-on-year -year rate fall from like eight and a half to eight. Uh, so a continuation of 0 0.2, 0 0.3 a month over coming months would give us one more 50 basis point hike in June, maybe another one in July. And then they could decelerate to a slower rate of of, of monetary tightening that might give them a better chance to navigate the, where the end is. We need to know that they will know when to stop. Uh, and the more they, they've gotten way behind, so they're gonna be going really fast. And, and, and they're not talking about any of this subtlety of fixing the demand part without tightening into the supply part, which they can't fix. So they've just, I'll tell you, Neil Kashkari this morning said that the worse the supply chain gets, if the supply chain doesn't fix itself, then we, the Fed, will have to do more. That's 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 a econ 101 mistake. They can't they can't fix it. So why tighten to offset it? Because they're under political pressure. So this is where if we don't get better inflation numbers in the next two or three months, uh, this is a, a real problem for the economy and the markets. Brian McCarthy, MacroLens, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So inflation, inflation, inflation. Gas prices once again nearing record highs. AAA says the national average for regular gasoline rose to about $4.32 today. That's just a fraction of a penny shy of the all-time high set on March 11th. Gas prices have climbed 13 cents over the last week alone, stand well above the recent low of 4 bucks and 7 cents a gallon. It's going the wrong way. And in another blow to the inflation outlook, diesel prices are also spiking. The national average for diesel hit another record of $5.54 a gallon today. That's up 22 cents in a week and 49 cents in a month. They're all AAA numbers. Producers, of course, blame rising oil and gas prices on government policy that's hostile towards non-renewable energy. And now U.S. grid operators are warning America could be facing blackouts this summer. Experts say it's because the transition to renewable energy is happening too quickly. Anthony Sean Marshall has the story. Electric grid operators are saying they're struggling to keep up with demand, which could lead to blackouts during the hot summer months. California says as much as 3,800 megawatts of supplies could face delays through 2025. As the heat goes up, uh, it, is, it is really hard to anticipate the amount of outages we might find ourselves with. ERCOT, which covers most of Texas, warns of tight conditions during high temperatures expected to last until next week. And MISO says it may take emergency measures to meet summer demand. This is happening as traditional power plants are shut down before they can be replaced by renewables. The more you lose those reliable baseload resources, 
the more uncertainty is going to get baked into the operation of the grid. Don Whaley is president of the Texas region of Ohm Connect Energy. Whaley says a fast, full transition is too expensive. They want to get there as quickly as possible. And I think we need to get there as quickly as practical. Baseload energy is the lowest amount of electricity that's needed to create enough power at any time. Renewables in their current state can't achieve this because they don't continuously provide power and there isn't enough battery storage. Confluence of factors of the ancient archaic grid not being able to come up and needing a ton of billions and billions of dollars worth of transmission and distribution system upgrades, as well as an increase of electric usage. Ben Parvey is the CEO of OhmGrid, a utility service that uses renewables to make homeowners independent from the power grid. Harvey says more reasons for potential outages include the decommissioning of nuclear plants and regulatory hurdles renewables have to go through. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And Elon Musk says the head of Russia's space agency has threatened him for helping Ukraine. The official apparently warned Musk he'll be held accountable for providing Starlink internet to Ukrainian forces. Musk replied, snarkily tweeting, if I die under mysterious circumstances, it's been nice knowing you. Days after Russia invaded, Musk started providing internet to Ukrainians via Starlink, Starlink's satellite broadband service. It allowed Ukrainian military drones to target Russian tanks more effectively. One Ukrainian soldier even said Starlink changed the war in Ukraine's favor. It's unclear how much it actually helped them. Although some platforms have taken action against Russian media, Musk has said Starlink will not block Russian news sources. Musk is a free speech absolutist, if you remember. And so it seems Elon Musk isn't backing down, neither is Europe, it seems. A natural gas pipeline between the Greek-Bulgarian border, ready to be operational in June, is the latest in the EU's bid to ease reliance on Russian energy. It's after Moscow recently decided to cut off natural gas supplies to Poland, Bulgaria. Anthony's Andrew Thomas has the details. Officially called the Gas Interconnector Greece-Bulgaria, the pipeline aims to complement the existing European network and give alternative sources of gas to countries such as Bulgaria, who heavily rely on Russian supply. Bulgaria. Especially for Bulgaria and for countries that do not have alternative energy supply apart from Russian natural gas, it's important. It gives them other capabilities. The pipeline link will provide the two countries and their neighbors access to the expanding global gas market. That includes a connection with the newly built Trans-Adriatic pipeline carrying gas from Azerbaijan, as well as suppliers of liquefied natural gas arriving by ship, such as Qatar, Algeria and the United States. It is crucial to make sure that basically Putin doesn't win its uh, divide and rule strategy because it's clear that we are into that kind of strategy. Russia wants to fragment Europe. The $250 million pipeline is funded by Bulgaria, Greece and the EU and will carry nearly 800 billion gallons of gas per year. Nobody wants to import Russian oil and gas given the, uh, the what we are seeing in Ukraine, and given this view of Russia of international relations, that's not the kind of country with whom we would like to, you know, have business. But the 110-mile project is the first of several planned gas interconnectors, and will allow Eastern European Union members to access the global gas market. The European Union plans to fully cut its dependence on Russian oil and gas over the next five years. Andrew Thomas. NTD News.
More protests are popping up in Shanghai. You'll know the city has been under strict lockdown measures for over a month now. On Saturday, a fight broke out between residents requesting food and people dressed in full-body protective, personal protective equipment. A young resident shouted at law enforcement and workers from his home requesting food. His comments, though, reportedly provoked them, prompting them to go upstairs to silence the man. That's when other residents stepped in. The issue developed into a fight with residents on one side and law enforcement and pandemic workers on the other. Some of the officers were seen fleeing the scene with residents chasing them down the street. The next day, law, local authorities said that those who led the protests were provoking trouble and had been detained. On Mother's Day in China, a Shanghai woman was forcibly separated from her son and taken into a quarantine facility. Came as Shanghai authorities tightened pandemic prevention measures in parts of the city. Anthony Don Ma has the story. Authorities in Shanghai are again tightening virus restrictions, just as the city was emerging from a month-long lockdown. Notices issued to several districts declared that a complete lockdown will begin Monday. Residents are forbidden to leave home even to go buy food. Authorities are also halting courier services. All non-essential deliveries will be suspended. As authorities announced lockdowns, they're also forcibly dragging Shanghai residents to quarantine facilities. Here's a clip. This happened over the weekend on Mother's Day. The woman is forcibly separated from her son and taken to a quarantine facility. The scene here is a rare sight in the West, but in China, it's commonplace. Here's another person being forcibly taken to a quarantine facility. So why are Chinese authorities doing this? Erping Zhang, Edward Mason Fellow at Harvard University and YouTube host of Tea with Erping, says it's because of Xi Jinping's decree of eliminating every virus case in China. The zero COVID policy comes from Beijing and from the Communist Party decision maker Xi Jinping. So the lower level officials must follow the decrees, otherwise they'll lose, lose their jobs. The responsibility of eliminating virus cases is passed down to local officials, and these officials have to report their results to their bosses. The local officials, their primary concern is to report to the boss. They have zero cases in their uh, uh, districts or cities or neighborhoods, um, they don't care the suffering uh, for the sufferings of the, uh, the people, residents. The reason why Chinese officials don't care about people's suffering is due to China's political system. In China, these officials are not voted into office by the residents or citizens or their people in their district or cities. They are hand picked by the Communist Party. So that's why they only report to the boss. They don't have to report to the residents or the masses. And he hopes that China will move away from its zero COVID policy or dashed. As Xi Jinping last Thursday told Chinese officials in an important meeting to unswervingly follow the policy. Don Ma, NTD News. China's zero-COVID policies now making European companies think about moving their investments out of China. The European Chamber of Commerce in China says the strict COVID-19 lockdowns and supply chain disruptions have rattled business confidence. 
And a math professor at Southern Illinois University has been convicted of violating tax laws. Federal jury in Benton, Illinois, recently found that Professor Xiaoming Ching guilty on four counts, largely charges that he failed to disclose a Chinese bank account on his 2017 to 2019 tax returns. His trial is the latest result of a Trump-era crackdown on Chinese influence within the United States. Xiao, who was born in China, faces sentencing in August, denies any wrongdoing, though. Southern Illinois University Carbondale says he remains on paid administrative leave. And the world's largest hotel company is trying to take Airbnb on directly by offering private homes for rental. Marriott has signed up 60,000 properties to add to its 1.5 million hotel rooms. The hotel chain said it created its homes and villas offering to meet the growing demand for short-term rentals. By comparison, Marriott's initial offering is considerably smaller than Airbnb's 6 million listings. But it says all of the properties come within its guarantees as well as its loyalty rewards program. In many cases, travelers can also receive hotel benefits like access to resort amenities without having to go inside a lobby. And one of the biggest tourist destinations in the world took over Times Square today. It's an effort to attract New Yorkers and visitors alike back to its city. Denisville Zoe has more from Times Square. We're in the heart of Times Square, but doesn't the scene behind me look like we're in London? Especially with this black iconic taxi. That's because we're at the event London Times Square Takeover. Our message to Americans is, uh, London is open, let's do London. Well, we have just launched the biggest invitation to London that the world has ever seen. The mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is launching a $10 million tourism campaign to attract visitors back to a city. I asked Mr. Khan why he decided to make New York City his first stop. From the East Coast to West Coast, what we really want is Americans to re-experience the city they uh, love. We've got great connections with uh, New York. We're kindred spirits. We're both global cities. And the London mayor came prepared. Uh, the Queen's let me borrow some of her Coldstream guards. They'll be here uh, today to get a taster, a vignette of what London has to offer. But also we've got world-class theatre in the West End. Uh, you'll see in a moment the fantastic uh, musical Six uh, award already nominated today for eight Tony Awards. Laura Citrin is the CEO of London and Partners. She's leading the Let's Do London campaign. For tourists from around the world, you don't need to fill in a form, you don't need to take a test, just come on visit us. We have over a hundred flights a day. Citrin told me visitors will be delighted to know London is one of the greenest cities on the planet. You can come to London, wake up in the morning, go for a long run or a cycle in one of our beautiful parks. Some of them even have wild deer and then just head straight into the city. Earlier in the day, New York's mayor welcomed Mr. Khan to the Big Apple. London's economy lost over $7 billion in 2020 because of pandemic travel restrictions. This is the first time Mr. Khan has visited the U.S. since 2016. He'll be traveling to the West Coast before returning to London. Phil Zoe, NTD News, Times Square. Still to come, stay with us. The weekend box office results, we have the top five countdown, who won and by how much. Indoor golf, booming since the pandemic started. We talked to two businesses that are seeing tremendous growth. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. In a move to help bridge the digital divide, President Biden announced a partnership today with Internet providers to lower costs for low-income households. Here's the president. We, we secured commitment from 20 providers, most of whom are in the garden today, going to lower prices for high-speed Internet for tens of millions of households. The administration says it will increase access to high-speed Internet for 48 million households nationwide. The news follows provisions in the administration's infrastructure law to subsidize wireless Internet for low-income families. It's under the Affordable Connectivity Program. It drops Internet service fees for eligible families by up to $30 a month through grant funding. And since the pandemic hit, golfing has caught on unexpectedly. According to the National Golf Foundation, a record 3.2 million first-timers picked up the sport in 2021. That's in addition to the 3 million new golfers in 2020. And when golf courses got crowded, another activity started booming, indoor golf. Here's the story. Social distancing during the pandemic has boosted demand for golfing. With tea time hard to book, indoor golfing venues are popping up in more places to meet the needs of golf enthusiasts. Trevor Faust is president of Ace Indoor Golf, an Ohio-based indoor golf builder. He says he's seen tremendous growth. We've grown over 100% now uh, going on our third consecutive year. Right now, our company has been uh, almost at capacity, right? Uh, there's been such tremendous demand. So for us, we're constantly trying to grow. We're bringing on new team members. Faust says technology adoption is another growth driver. Ace Indoor Golf currently has an annual revenue between 10 and $15 million. And Faust expects to double the revenue in the coming 12 to 24 months. With the adoption now of technology on the PGA Tour, you see that a lot with customers are, I should say, uh, technologies like TrackMan and Top Tracer and things of that nature. Uh, the adoption rate has grown significantly. Jin Park, an avid golfer, saw an opportunity for indoor golfing during the pandemic. They're just in over in Asia and other parts of the world, there are so many of these type of indoor type simulators. And in the U.S., there just really isn't anything. Um, there's only a few really small competitors. So Park invested nearly $3 million in his first indoor golfing venue, Game of Irons in Oak Brook, Illinois. Its South Korean-made golf simulators offer 200 golf courses around the world, including the popular Pebble Beach Golf Course in California. What these simulators are trying to do is really simulate playing a full round of golf on a course. Um, so we have multiple hitting mats. So you've got your fairway, your rough, and your bunker. You've got an auto ball tee so you don't have to go fetching your ball every time. Um, and the most impressive thing is that you have a tilting platform. The tilting platform simulates the angle of the terrain. Park says the realistic simulator is for both beginner and advanced golfers. I think the greatest thing uh, about playing indoors is you get a lot of feedback. You know, if we're on the driving range indoors, it will tell you your ball speed, it will tell you your club head speed, it will tell you are you slicing it. Park envisions the indoor golf venue as a place not only for golfers, but also for corporate outings and family gatherings. It's just something that we, we look at this as kind of the future of what bowling used to be. Everyone used to go bowling with their friends and family. This is the next generation of bowlers. Both Park and Faust are very optimistic about the indoor golf industry. They are looking to grow their operations in the next year or so. Reporting by NTD's Angela Moy. And for kids in wheelchairs, Hot Wheels is stepping up its game. 
The company is launching its first ever remote-controlled wheelchair toy. It was created in collaboration with five-time wheelchair motocross world champion and para- Paralympic athlete Aaron Wheels Fotheringham. He's known for performing elaborate tricks and backflips in his wheelchair. In fact, the toy was crafted to mimic his custom-built chair. It features a built-in action figure made to look like him, a remote control and a ramp so users can perform tricks like he does. Hot Wheels hopes the toy will inspire kids to push back perceived limitations. Goodbye to Amazon. As no surprise, the new Doctor Strange movie won the weekend box office, but how much did it make? Here's the countdown. Everything Everywhere All at Once held on to fifth place this weekend with $3.3 million, while Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore fell from third to fourth place with $4 million. Downshifting from second to third place was Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which made $6.2 million. Just ahead of it was former box office champ The Bad Guys with $9.8 million, bringing its North American box office total to $57.6 million. didn't need to have Doctor Strange's powers to foresee his new movie would win the weekend. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness conjured up $185 million, which makes it the 11th biggest opening in domestic box office history and the biggest debut of 2022. Do you want fries with that? How about a tarot card reading? McDonald's has you covered. This week, if you order medium fries, you'll get a free McChicken or McDouble, and if the stars align, a tarot reading by an astrology expert, Madam Adam. Fast food chain is leading into Mercury ret- retrograde. A theme astrology buffs will get tell you is traditionally associated with confusion, delay, and frustration. Starts Tuesday, runs through the 10th, but this is only a two-day deal, Tuesday and Wednesday. For a chance at reading, you'll need to post your zodiac sign in the comment section of Madam Adam's TikTok or Instagram posts announcing the Mercury retrograde deal. Then during live reading on TikTok, Adam will randomly select a few folks for custom readings. That's the latest for the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Cancel catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.